how often do I miss those miracles that are happening around me? How often do I miss what God is doing because my attention or I'm distracted by other things that are happening around me elsewhere? And uh, I'm not haven't got my attention on the thing that God is doing. Let's not be a people who miss what God is doing. Let's see the miracles that are actually happening around us. So I want to begin by looking at the woman in this story, a story that is probably known to you. If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard this story before. So what do we know about this lady? What do we know about the woman in this story? Well, we aren't told what her exact condition is. Okay, nowadays, if you go to the doctor, a lot of us come home and then we Google it, don't we? And think, oh, what was that? And the symptoms and the thing. And have they got it right? And are we right? And we, we, we often, we've made a diagnosis even before we've gone to the doctor, haven't we? And we've got some long, fancy name for it. Well, it wasn't the case here. We don't exactly know what the condition was. All we know is that she had some serious problem with bleeding, Okay, she had been bleeding for 12 years, 12 painful years this woman had suffered. We also have to understand that in Jesus' day, when a woman was bleeding, there was huge stigma and humiliation around it. The only thing, now ladies here, can you sitting here today, can you imagine this? The only thing that was considered worse was to have leprosy. Okay, can you imagine this poor lady? There was so much shame and so much rejection and she would have been considered as unclean. She was considered as ceremonially unclean. Wow, this poor lady in this situation. And being classed as unclean that meant that anything she touched also became unclean. Now, we've had a little bit of an experience kind of this over the last couple of years, haven't we? As we've been living with this in this pandemic, you know, people a bit afraid, you know, washing their groceries as they came in through the door and different things. But this is what this lady would have felt like if she'd touched a piece of furniture, touched a piece of food. If someone else came along and touched it, they would have been classed as unclean. So there was fear around this lady. She she was an outcast. She was classed as unclean and everything at that time would have centered around the synagogue. And she couldn't be part of it. She was viewed as unclean and her suffering would have been done alone. This was a lonely journey for this woman. She suffered alone. No one wanted to be around her. She couldn't go out in public she couldn't have a hug from her family. This is sounding kind of familiar, isn't it, in these last, if you've had to have a period of isolation over these last couple of years. Can you imagine being isolated for 12 years? 12 years of isolation. She lived un- in isolation under the label of being unclean. How sad it was for this lady. And to make things worse... It wasn't only those around her who made her feel unclean. She would have felt unclean in herself. You know, can you imagine the constant washing of clothes and linen for 12 years? It was, it was, you would have felt herself ashamed and unclean. And life was unbearable for this woman. Absolutely unbearable. We read that she tried everything humanly possible, everything in her own strength to make herself well. 
She had spent all of her money on doctors. She was tired, she was lonely, and she was desperate. She was a desperate woman. And you know, sometimes desperation is a good thing. Because desperation, it gives way, you know, complacency, you can't have it. It gives way to desperation. It stops us being complacent when we are absolutely desperate. And I want to read you a passage from one Bible commentary, which I think just puts it so beautifully. It says this. She had sought physicians' advice. They gave, her only, they gave her one thing after another, but to no avail. Chances are, at the same time that her resources dried up, the doctors had no more advice and considered her incurable. When she heard of people speak of the power of Christ, she believed and began to hope again for the ultimate cure. If she could just get to him, She had been hiding so long that she felt she couldn't go up and talk to him. She was embarrassed and needed as private a cure as she could possibly get. She devised a plan. If she could just touch his clothing for a second, she pushed her way through the crowd. A crowd that could turn on her if they realised that she was that woman, the one with the issue of blood. But she pushed through anyway. She was desperate. She got to touch his garment and instantly the blood stopped and she felt perfectly well. But she couldn't remain anonymous as she wanted. Her feeling of triumph gave way to fear and trembling. What would he do to her? She fell down at his feet and humbly explained what she had done. And his response was an anger. It was delight at her extreme faith. I wonder this morning if we have extreme faith. I wonder if each one of us has an extreme faith. So what can we learn from this woman today? She was desperate. She was desperate for her healing. She was so desperate that she didn't care what others thought about her. Or maybe she just didn't, she put it aside. She just, she just thought, actually, I'm not going to let that stop me. She held on to the great hope that the power of Jesus could heal her. Faith and determination are a very powerful combination. And Jesus was never afraid to mix with those that the society and the world would class as unclean or as an outcast. There was no need for Jesus to acknowledge this woman at this time. He could have kept walking Her faith to reach out and touch the hem of his garment was enough for her to receive healing. The fact that he stopped and he wanted to look at her face to face, he wanted to look at her eye to eye, wasn't because he was angry for bothering him. He wasn't cross. It was because he simply wanted to catch a glimpse of her face. The beautiful faith and desperation that was flowing from within this woman. The faith that knew that just one touch and she could be healed and she could be set free. This unnamed woman not only suffered from the um, physical um, pain of continuous bleeding for many, many years, but also that feeling, that dirty feeling of being stigmatized and isolated and set aside. 
she could lived and existed with the continual pain of feeling like an outcast, of being rejected. Jesus met her in her space. He met her in her space and does the opposite of what is expected. Can you imagine this crowd swarming around Jesus, pressing against Jesus? They were all pushing and shoving and pressing against one another. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus as he made his way through this crowd. Then as they're pushing and they're bustling and they're, they're, you know, this huge crowd is there, suddenly Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And one of the disciples says, what, are you, are you crazy? Jesus, honestly, this whole crowd, they're pressing against you. We're all pushing and shoving. Everyone is pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone has touched me. Someone has touched me because I know that power has gone out from me. And everyone started to deny it, not me. I didn't push you. I didn't shove you. I didn't push against you. Although everyone was pushing and touching and shoving against Jesus. Then all of a sudden, there's this woman. She comes terrified. She's afraid, trembling. She falls on her knees at the feet of Jesus. The people probably thought that Jesus was going to be angry with her. They probably thought that he was going to rebuke her and say, stop being such a nuisance. I'm I'm on my way to somewhere. I need to go. Stop being a nuisance. But instead of being repulsed or disgusted by her, he responds with peace and with love. He responds with acceptance. He responds with grace. He seems to respond with understanding of her situation. He calls her daughter. It's an invitation into his family. To call someone daughter, it's part of my family. He accepts her. He offers her peace and he heals her. He heals her. And this morning we need to understand that it's not religion that can change us. It's not being here in church, although coming to church is fantastic because we support and love one another. It's not simply coming to church that can change us. It's the power of the touch of Jesus in our lives. It's only Jesus and the power of Jesus that can transform us. Only he can take brokenness and transform us into the people that we are created to be. And one interesting thing to note is that Jesus never dealt with two people in the same way. God will come and meet you where you are. He will meet you in a way that you can understand. You know, for instance, when he he said to Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. For Peter, that was that was totally unique statement for him to make. Peter, a fisherman who hadn't caught anything, I'll make you a fisher of men. It was where he was at. Just like this woman, God will always meet us where we're at, in our place of needing healing, of brokenness. Wherever we're at, God will meet us exactly where we are. And this leads me on to my second point this morning that I want to draw out. Just like Jesus, are we willing to meet people where they're at? Are we willing to meet people where they're at? You know, too often 
I think I'm guilty in my own life of being like the crowds. I'm following Jesus. <laughs> I'm doing the right thing. I want to go where he's going. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. I want to follow where he's going. I want to be the one who's right close to him. But I'm pushing someone else out. I'm pushing someone else out. Just like Jesus, are we willing to meet people where they're at? We actually sometimes, I think, without realise it, stand in the way of people encountering Jesus and make outcasts of people when Jesus is saying, come to me, I love you. We can stand in the way of them having an encounter. And I want to just tell you a couple of personal stories that have really hit my heart, one very recently and one from years ago. Um, Whilst we were on holiday over the last couple of weeks, um, for those of you who who live in Guernsey, you might have read um, a story in the paper that emerged about the benches in town. Okay, so the St. Peterport, you know, there's this group that have been sitting on these benches in town, and uh, the the St. Peterport Duzane had decided to move the benches um, because of the antisocial behaviour and things that were going on on these benches. And uh, that was all going on. And you know what? I get riled. I was incensed, okay? This stirs, that disturbs up every passion within me, okay? Because I am not for antisocial behaviour. Let me just say that. I'm not going to go and say, let's all be antisocial and run up the high street. But it challenges me. It challenges me to the comments that were read, that I read online about those benches. Oh, it's much better now they've gone because I don't have to walk past them on my way home from work. When did we become a community, an island community where we aren't supporting and standing up for one another? You know, it breaks my heart that people in need who found a place simply to sit, (laughs) okay, and, and be with one another, who are getting support from town church, which is fantastic. We just simply want to move them on and hide the problem. What are we doing as a voice of the church to say these are our community and these people are in need? Do we read those things and think, great, oh, town won't look a mess anymore? Or do we read them and think, actually, I want to bring Jesus to those people. I want to show them what love is because they're desperately in need. That was just one little challenge that came to me over the holidays. Um, But I have a personal story about those benches. And if I get emotional, it's not because I'm emotional about the story. I'm emotional because this happened 20 years ago and I'm cross that not more, I don't do more of this in my life. Okay. So that's just put that there. Secondly, many years ago, I was working with homeless in London. I know many of you know this story before. But um, one night I was out, um, I was 18. So a lot of you young people here, this is like you stuff because this is great. I was out on the street and um, I'd been working with the homeless all night and then I unzipped a sleeping bag to ask a guy if he wanted a cup of tea. Opened up the sleeping bag and I, it was a guy I knew, okay, from Guernsey, who sits on the benches at some, in Damlet Town Church. It's close to my heart, really. Um, so he was sat, uh, sits on the benches. And I said to him, oh, you're from Guernsey. And he said, oh, you're, you're from Guernsey. And we had this conversation. Anyway, over the next year, we kind of developed this friendship, which was fantastic. And it was a really, really great and just having tea and stuff together. Anyway, when I came back to Guernsey, some, you know, time later, I was walking through town and he was there, sat on the bench um, outside the town church. And um, I went over and had a chat with him. 
A little aside, I used to work in the bag shop. Now, many of you who are old will know the bag shop, okay? Not, don't look at me, okay? You don't know the bag shop. Yeah, you, the bag shop, there's a t- t- uh, shop in town church that had lots of bags outside. Denny's used to work there too. Only the best people worked in the bag shop. Um, and anyway, I worked in the bag shop and uh, you had perfect view of the town church from the bag shop, okay? So I was sitting out there with this, these guys. And he said to me, one of the, the guys said to me, said, Chrissy, I really need a sleeping bag. Really need a sleeping bag. Um, I've got accommodation, but I'm really cold. Could you go and get me a sleeping bag? I said, yeah. So I went off to Woolworths. You won't know what Woolworths is, okay? Um, this is really old, okay? Um, but it was really good for pick and mix, okay? In the days of tapes, cassette tapes and things, yeah. Um, so I went off to Woolworths and bought a sleeping bag, gave it to this guy, okay? And uh, that was it. Anyway, next day went into work. And my colleague said to me, you're really stupid, you're really crazy, you're mad. You know what? They opened up that sleeping bag, they were chucking it around, they were laughing at you, you know, once you'd gone. And I said, you know, like they were just laughing about it and and basically saying, if you ask her, she'll go and get it and this and that. And you know what? It cut me. It did cut me. That comment really cut me. But I held on to the fact it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. I had done what I'd been asked. And whatever they did was their responsibility. But it cut me. Anyway, go on. Left it there. Two years later, I'm working on the Jane estate and my phone rings. And I had a phone call from the hospital. And um, bear in mind, I'm, I'm like 20, 20, 21. I'm not old, okay? And I had a phone call. From, <laughs> I had a phone call. So I'm just impassioning you guys to say, you know, come on, you, you got this. Um, you, I had a phone call and, uh, it, from the hospital. And they said, I wondered if you could come up. I've got a lady in hospital um, who would, has asked to requested to see you. And um, I was like, okay, I'll come up and see you. I don't know who you are, but I'll come up. Um, so I went up to the hospital, and it was the guy's mum. It was the guy's mum. And he'd given her my number, and he said, if ever you need to know that you're loved, phone this number. And at 21, I went up there, and I prayed with this lady. And uh, two days later, she died. Two days later, she died. And it's a challenge to me. You know, what a privilege it was if I just refused. You know, that moment was being Jesus in that situation, in both those situations. You know, what a privilege it was. And, you know, it's very easy to look at people and be afraid because they aren't like us. I'm not sitting on that bench with a can of carling in my hand. Well, I might do one day. But I'm not sitting there like that, you know, like that. And and sometimes you feel a bit afraid. In fact, they don't make me scared, actually, people like that. People in suits scare me. So if you've got a suit on, I know I've said that before. That's who scares me. But I sit, sit on that bench. But because people act differently to us, because people behave differently to us, we don't understand the things that they do. We put up barriers, We put up barriers, our own barriers, and sadly, that often leads us to reject or even judge their actions and judge their behavior. Jesus said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? I love his humor there. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you can't see the log in your own eye? In other words, we can't see a single speck in a friend's eye because we have a telephone pole sticking out of our own eye often. Jesus was saying, don't be that person. First, recognize and confess our own sin. 
Forgiven people should be forgiving people. We should be forgiving people. Those crowds had spent years avoiding that woman, and yet Jesus met her exactly where she was at, in her place of brokenness and healing. Firstly, I want to say to you today that if you feel like that woman, if you're feeling like that woman today, a bit of an outcast, a bit of rejection, then I want to say to you that you are known and loved by God. You are known and loved by God. Healing doesn't always look exactly what we're hoping for. But sometimes healing looks like acceptance and belonging and forgiveness and connection with God who created us. Sometimes that's what our healing looks like. Sometimes healing looks like not letting fear have a hold over our lives. God wants to remind you today that you're loved and you are called a son or a daughter of God. That's what he says to us today. Jesus calls you today to reach out and just touch the hem of his garment. How desperate are we? How desperate are we to receive from Jesus? And if we just do that, Jesus will meet us exactly where we're at. Secondly, we need a reminder that we too are the hands of Jesus. We're the hands of Jesus and we have the ability ability to offer healing and show grace and mercy and forgiveness to those who are suffering. We need to ask for wisdom, pray for strength, pray for courage, pray for the opportunities. Let's not miss the miracles that are happening. And we need to show God's love, extend God's grace to those around us, not be like the crowds, not put up the barriers, but to make way for people to come and encounter Jesus.